Hi Dave, how are you? How's it going, Seamus? Uh, I'm good, thanks. First off, just I'd say massive thanks for coming on to the Coleman's podcast. We're all big Today FM fans. It's great to have you on. Great. Well, thanks. As I said, it's an honour to be asked, so thanks for asking me, and I hope I can provide you with a relatively interesting interview today. <laughs> Hopefully. Um, so, first off, how did you get into radio media? Was it something you were always interested in, or how did it come about? No, no, I have a pretty weird story about that. And um, I'm not like most people who work in radio and media. They really want to do it for their whole lives. I had no interest. Literally, I'd never been in a radio station. I'd never, like like everyone I work with has some story about how they used to be on pirate radio years ago. And they worked their way through and they got a break and they did weekends and overnights and all that kind of thing. Um, I, was a, I was a musician. So I was a songwriter and a music producer. And I was working for about, five years after college uh, just doing that and creating a, a company working really hard as a musician and what I used to do was I used to record actors and comedians voiceover show reels so they'd come into my studio they'd have a couple of scripts and they'd record them and then they'd end up this was the late 90s so they'd end up walking out with a cd they'd give that to their agent their agent would then copy the cd send it around to all the different voiceover agencies and they'd get some work out of it so one day I was working with, I don't know if you, if you know the uh, comedian Des Bishop, but I was working oh, yeah. on a, a musical, a rap. This is how late 90s, early 2000s we were. It was a rap musical about the history, political history of Ireland. So if you can imagine Eamon de Valera rapping and all that kind of stuff, that's what we were doing and Michael Collins. Um, but we were sitting down for dinner one night uh, after the show and he said, you should do voiceovers. You're always doing cartoon voices and impersonations. And you speak languages and whatever. And I was like, yeah, but you need an agent and all that. I don't know where to go. And he was like, the guy who made this show sitting right beside you at dinner is the biggest voiceover agent in Ireland. And I was like, oh, Richard, will you be my agent? He was like, yeah, no problem. So I went home, back to my studio the next weekend. And I literally made this kind of three minute stream of consciousness all one sentence kind of with i'd say about 30 different voices in it so cartoon voices impersonations different languages different accents and i just sent it out to him and said look if i get one job you get paid 500 quid happy days you know uh so i did i got a job as a pizza delivery guy uh the kind of you know the simpsons fast food spotty kid kind of thing it was like that kind of yeah. a knock on the door and was like oh your pizza's here like one of those and then my next phone call i got was from a woman who was being really secretive, but she basically, over the period of a week, led me down this path. I had no idea what was going on. Uh, and on the Friday, she brought me into a building in Dublin and introduced me to a fella called Dermot. And she said, I'll be back in 20 minutes. You guys get on. And she walked out the door and I turned around to him and I went, what is this? Like, is this, you know, some voiceover for a, a cartoon? He was like, no, this is 98 FM in Dublin. This is a radio station. And I was like, radio? Radio? Why am I here? He's like, do you not want to be in radio? I was like, I've never been in a radio station. I don't know anything. So she had been tasked to go out and find some new voice talent who hadn't been on radio before. So my first job was the biggest job, the breakfast show. So like, ever, as I said, everyone starts on, they do a guest appearance on a weekend show. And then maybe they get something to do a show between 3 a.m. and 5 a.m., whatever. But I was literally just put on the air with no experience, just me and Dermot. Uh, back in 2002 and we've been together for nearly 20 years now. And you know now obviously you've become one of the biggest names in Irish radio but what advice would you give to a young aspiring journalist or someone who's trying to get into media? 
you're so lucky lads i would say one word three times podcast 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 like think about it when when if if i wanted to start in radio back when i was a bit younger like i would have had to go and record a demo and i would have had to fake up a radio show and literally knock on every single door of every single radio station manager and send them my fake radio demo that i created because you'd never get a chance when are you going to actually be on radio whereas podcasting it's actually your own radio show like and and there's no no one's telling you you can't do it and i also think another massive advantage is it doesn't matter what you're talking about when when someone who's who hires people to be on radio today is listening they're not they're, okay you need to have i suppose a decent voice that isn't going to make people turn off the radios for whatever reason but beyond that assuming that they just want somebody who's passionate now you could be passionate about train sets and do a podcast about train sets now no one's going to hire you on the radio to talk about train sets but if you show passion in that podcast and you can then create a demo for a station manager to hear and go that guy he really when he's when he's talking about something he loves he really sounds good and convincing and I want to be friends with him. And they're the things that a manager looks for. So I think now the advice would be, if you want to be a broadcaster, certainly do a podcast and do a podcast for a year. Cause you'll have, if you do one a week for a year, you'll have 52 episodes to cut down your best bits. And it doesn't matter if you want to be a TV presenter, like a podcast will help. Obviously a TV presenter will need to be seen on camera and do all that kind of thing. But in terms of like the experience of talking and not running out of ideas or, or admitting when you do run out of ideas uh, and interviewing somebody or creating a, um, a story arc in an episode. Like if you were into train sets or whatever, you know, just randomly listing off the train sets isn't going to be very entertaining. But if you, there's a, a train set with an amazing story behind it and you can kind of map that story out over a 20 minute podcast or a two hour podcast, whatever it is, that's a skill. And then that's something you can bring to your broadcasting career, no matter what it is you're doing. So I would think, you know, people are at a massive advantage. No, obviously the other side of that is everybody can do a podcast and everybody has a podcast, whatever. But at the same time, at least there's that playing field that we would never have, I would never have had it when I was starting out that there was an opportunity to actually create your own radio station. I remember Dermot telling a story about YouTube videos and he used to make videos as a kid uh, just with, you know, big, massive like video camera on the shoulder kind of thing. But the way he got views was he brought the VHS tape. You guys don't even know what that is. <laughs> he brought the tape around to his friend's house and hit play. And that was one view. And then he called to his other friend and that was two views. And now, you know, you upload the right thing. You could have a million views in a day. You know, it's, it's a different world now. So I think there's a huge advantage to being alive right now uh, and podcast, podcast, podcast. You, know, you mentioned early on there about um, your music. Do you think if you weren't a radio host, would that be something you would have pursued full time or what do you think you would be doing? Yeah, I think so. Um, it was always my dream. Uh, I went from wanting to be a rock star to realizing I actually hated performing, not hated performing live in that I didn't think I was good at it, but I just, there's, when you're at the kind of low level of being a, a musician, live performances and, and I like heavy metal and heavy metal performances live can go so wrong so that was definitely something I was like when I got into a studio I went oh my god this is amazing this is where I want to be and I actually veered right away from heavy metal and became a pop songwriter and producer and yes if you ask me still today for my dream job it would be sitting in a studio writing and producing music for 
Rihanna and Billie Eilish and Backstreet Boys and all that kind of stuff. That's that's all I would love to do. Uh, usually you're the one giving interviews on Night Today. In your opinion, what does make a good interviewee? Ooh, a good interviewee. That's a good question. Um, okay, well, first of all, I suppose the story has to has to be good, if you know what I mean. Now, you know, everyone has a different story and you'd be surprised the most mundane things can actually be really interesting if the person is kind of invested in their story or whatever. So you, you don't have to have, you know, oh, I hung out with Elvis and punched, you know, Bill Clinton in the face and this is my amazing story. It can be something pretty normal. If you listen to our radio show, you know, we get listeners on all the time telling us stories about things and it could be something really simple. But I think like the best interviewees are the people who actually listen to the questions. And that can be especially difficult for someone who is doing a load of interviews. So let's say sometimes we go on these movie junkets, not anymore, obviously, because everything's closed down for COVID. We do them virtually now, but you might go and interview, you know, Liam Neeson and you go to a hotel in Dublin and you're farmed in, like there could be 30 people asking questions. And, you know, it's, it's completely understandable. They just go into autopilot and go, yeah, it was great fun making the movie. Yeah, I really hope people go and watch it. Thanks, you know. So as an interviewer, your job is to try and ask questions they haven't been asked before. But as an interviewee, if they actually listen to the question you're asking, pay attention and answer it genuinely as opposed to firing out the stock answers, that can make a massive difference to any interview, whether it's a listener just calling in, telling us a story, or whether it's... Will Ferrell or whoever. Like, so it, I think listening is, is key as an interviewee. Who do you think is the best person you've ever inter- in, interviewed? Wow. Um, okay, I suppose if you're talking about big names and stuff, uh, Will Ferrell is exactly like you think Will Ferrell's going to be and genuinely like that. He's not putting it on. He is completely sound really funny but also really warm and engaging and we actually interviewed him with Mark Wahlberg they were doing a movie called Daddy's Home and they came into the studio together and Will Ferrell and Mark Wahlberg were both staying literally 200 yards across from our studio in Dublin in a hotel and Will Ferrell just got up in the morning put on his jacket walked across got a cup of coffee and met someone in the reception here in Marconi House in Dublin and came up the lift whatever Mark Wahlberg had seven SUVs drive him and if you you don't like i don't know if you know dublin city but dublin city is always one way so he literally had to be in the car for 10 minutes to do a 30 second walk and got out of the car and brought i think he brought 12 people upstairs with him and look when the interview was on he was fine like he was grand like it wasn't anything good or bad but will ferrell was just wanted to walk around dublin he wanted to come in. he started asking himself in dermot we were off air because we had him for about an hour he was asking about our families and what do we do and stories like, you know, how did you get into radio? And he was actually genuinely listening, which meant when we went back on air and we were asking him questions, the level of comfort was so high in the room that the interview was great. It was really, really good. So he was amazing. But to be honest with you, like we do, you know, one, two, three, four, five of them a year, but I probably do 150, 200, 300 listener interviews as in they just come on for a competition you ask them what they're doing and like they're the best crack honestly like you know you you find you you get more laughs out of those interviews and and just normal things normal people tell you that it's just hilarious than you do when you're interviewing a big hollywood star uh so you are well known for your love of metal and rock 
are you frustrated that these genres don't really get as much airtime as usual like um, pop songs on the radio I, I suppose i'm probably pretty philosophical about it jacob like i know for example that as much as i want to play slipknot at a quarter past nine in the morning it's just not going to happen i need to play you know the new song from sam smith or Dermot Kennedy or whatever and that's fine that's my job my job isn't to play what I love it's to play what you guys what 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 the public loves and if they want to hear you know Dermot Kennedy and Medusa every three hours that's my job and, and and I have to accept that now would I love to have a metal show yes in fact I did for in 2017 for about five months there's a radio station that was part of our group here in today FM it's called TXFM and it was a, just local to Dublin, but it was like a, a kind of alternative music station. Now, they didn't even play. They might play Metallica or Rage Against the Machine or something during the day. They gave me a Saturday night, two-hour heavy metal show, and I could play whatever I wanted. And five months after I started, the radio station closed. So I think maybe I had some effect on that. Um, but uh, yeah, that was amazing. Like getting on and being able to play you know, full on death metal on the radio was amazing. But it's also, if I did it in the mornings, I wouldn't have the listenership I have. You know, I'd have 17 people listen to me, not 200,000. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so recently we saw that you got a lot of stick from some of your Instagram followers about your guitar riff World Cup. Uh, I want to know what are your top three guitar riffs of all time? Oh my god, wow. Um okay, so okay, so I suppose we should make a distinction, Jacob, between riffs and solos. So the World Cup was solos, and I think that's different than a riff. A riff is a part of the song that repeats the whole band plays and it becomes a kind of a signature for the song. The solo is a bit in the song where somebody goes, Look at me, I'm amazing. I can go whatever, right? So let's talk about riffs only. Uh I think my favorite riff ever is a Slayer song called Spill the Blood. Um, I'm sure you probably don't know it, but that's definitely my number one. Um, number two would probably be And Justice for All by Metallica. And number three would be AOV by Slipknot. I'm sure none of those mean anything, but they're, the, they're my top three. You have a huge following on Instagram, nearly 55,000. Do you see social media as a positive source of information for the people or does it have its flaws? Great question, Matthew. I actually didn't even know I had 55,000 followers. I should pay, pay attention to that. Um, yeah, look, I think you're absolutely right. It can have, it can have flaws. It, like, any, like anything can. Any situation can have a flaw. But I think, I don't know about you guys, but certainly like I've been on social media. I joined Twitter really early, 2007, I think, 2008. Maybe it doesn't eight. Well, I've been on social media since then. I've probably 60-something thousand on, on, on Twitter, 50,000, as you said, on Instagram. Like, I, I put out positivity. I'm interested in positivity. I share, you know, if I see a positive story, I'll share it. If I see a negative story, I'm not interested. I don't even read it. I don't read the newspapers. I don't listen to the news. I know I have it on my show three hours a day, but that's it. Like, I literally hear the news when Kim Buckley reads the news on my show. That's the first time I hear it every day. I don't, have no interest in negativity and so as a result my experience of social media has been really positive and I don't know if you can always say that I mean probably like if I've been on it for 
let's say 2008. So I've been on it for 13 years. I've got tens of thousands of followers and I can literally count on one hand the amount of times I've had something, you know, really nasty or had to block someone or whatever. So I'm really lucky from that point of view, I think, um, that my experience of social media has always been really positive. It's been a lovely community. It's been something I've used to, you know, bring people into the, sh to the radio show and to that, are, that it might have people who maybe can't listen to us in the morning, but they follow me and we interact in the evening time and they might tell their friends. So it's this constant cycle of, of audience. And I think it's a great way of when your radio show is one hour or two hours or three hours or whatever it is, you can essentially not exist until the next time you're back on. So social media allows you to, to engage with listeners and, and, and your own audience in a different way. Um, but yeah, look, you see the stuff on social media, the negative stuff, and it's there for everyone to see, be it, you know, racism, misogyny, whatever it's, it's there, but then it's in society as, as well. And I do think social media probably gives an amplification and a voice. And we've seen that with the politics in the U S and we've seen that with the, you know, the kind of reluctance for the black lives matter movement. We've seen this negativity spiral, but I do think just in general, social media is a reflection of society. And I would say, you know, 95% of people on social media are sound and they're positive people. And it's probably true of society as well. Absolutely, there's 5% and they're probably a bit louder on social media because you're sitting there looking at feeds, but just unfollow. You don't, I mean, if you don't like something, unfollow it. And if it's really in your face, block it. And then it's just gone. And that's always been my experience. And I, I just find it a really positive, really useful place. So uh, we had Professor Luke O'Neill on the podcast on Tuesday, and he said that his pandemic song, it was uh, Mexico by Monday uh, for the lyric, promise me it will get better and it will heal in brighter weather. Now, my pandemic song is Fake Fine by Robert Grace because it's really relatable and it's written in a pandemic for a pandemic. Um, so I want to know, uh, have you a pandemic song that makes you feel optimistic for the future or just one that lifts you on a bad day? Wow, another great question, Jacob. Um, again, like I, I'm a musician, I love music. I listen to a load of stuff all the time, uh, nonstop. Um, what do I love? I've, someone I've listened to a lot during lockdown, which is maybe just coincidental because it's kind of when he came on my radar, is a guy called Jacob Collier. And he is a a multi-instrumentalist he's a composer he's an absolute musical genius and, and for that reason a lot of his stuff isn't very accessible a lot of people listen to it and might go it's kind of weird jazzy i don't like the sound or whatever uh so i don't think he's going to be in like you know in the, the top 10 anytime soon but he has a song called all i need uh featuring mahalia and ty dollar sign and it's just it's amazing and i've listened to that so much during lockdown. I don't know if there's any lyric in there particularly that's maybe inspirational for these times. Maybe I should have thought about that a bit more, but it's definitely the song I've listened to most since lockdown began. So uh, Jacob Collier, All I Need, that's the one for me. The Dormit and Dave show is famous for being lighthearted and full of humour and go crack. Does it make it that bit easier when you have someone hosting them with you? Yes, Matthew, it does. It really does. Um, like, first of all, when you have a double header, two, two people talking, like the dynamic is so important between the two of you. Um, and the average lifespan on radio for a double header is three years. So it's 
kind of 18 months to get to know each other and build up a relationship and then 18 months for that all to fall apart. And it happens. You see it all the time. You see two people get together and three years later, they're gone different ways, whatever. So Dermot and I have been together since 2002. I presume you guys, were you even born in 2002? No. So our career has been longer than than your lives. So we're so lucky. We we literally became friends that first day we were putting that room together like a weird play date. And the lady said, you guys get on, I'll be back in 20 minutes. Um, and we've been best friends ever since. And I didn't know him. I'd never met him before in my life. I didn't know anything about him. Uh, he's from Limerick. I'm from Dublin. Like he lives in Dublin or whatever. But like we, we had nothing in common. You know, he's a bit older than I am. We, did, we didn't, we were in the same, we were in Trinity at the same time, but we didn't know each other and we didn't have circles of friends or anything like that. But having a double header with somebody that's your best mate is priceless. And like all joking aside, think about it. The only other people you can think of like that are maybe... Anton Deck in the UK, or there's guys in Australia, Hamish and Andy. Uh, and then there's other duos that you'd know from maybe different, you know, uh, worlds, maybe like, uh, say, in in movies, when you see guys who constantly write films together and acted films together, you know, like they're, they're doing that. But to work with someone for five, six, seven hours a day in a really high pressure environment like our radio show is, if you don't get on, it's going to be, it's going to be very difficult. So we don't put on the lightheartedness and the crack. We just have great fun. We're genuinely best mates. We get to go into work every day, listen to, you know, quality tunes and then talk in between them. Like it's a dream job in a lot of ways. Um, but having that second person is really helpful. Like say when you're interviewing someone, you have to know when to not talk because it's the other person's going to talk, but you also then can rely on the other person that if you run out of a question or you need to think for 10 seconds, it's so difficult to do that when you're interviewing someone on your own. But like, you know, Quentin, if you were thinking of a question now, Matthew's asking me this question, you've got the time to, during my answer, to think about your next question or whatever. So I have that every day and that, that really helps. But then also we can completely take the mickey out of each other, which provides for just the best fun ever. And that's what our listeners love hearing is us slagging each other. Um, and that only bec- can be possible because we're best mates and because we've now been together for whatever it is, 19 years. Like, you know, I, I, it's just such a rare thing to find. And we're so lucky and we know that every day. We all love some aspects on your show, such as cheese and crackers and the famous Noni. How do you come up with these ideas and characters that people adore? I'm so glad you do like them. Um, yeah, I suppose like we the re- one of the reasons for our success is that we've never sat still. We've never gone, that's it now, put the feet up and we can just do this in autopilot for the rest of our days. We've always tried to find ways to improve what we do. And one of the easiest ways to do that is every probably six months, maybe a bit less, certainly every six months, you sit down with your team on the show and you look at everything that's on the show. You list all, all the stuff you do all the time. You list it off, the types of interviews you're doing, the types of content you're covering. And you go, and, and there's no ego and everything is on the table. And you go, what, what do we want to kill? What do we want to improve? What do we absolutely want to keep? And you have to be honest about it. And, and like, I don't know, say, for example, you, like you mentioned cheese and crackers. We've been doing cheese and crackers definitely since we were in our previous radio station. So in 98 FM, and I think it was possibly even on breakfast. So we've been doing that since possibly 2010. Yeah, 2010. So 11 years we've been doing cheese and crackers. 
Now we've probably asked the question 20 times, do we bin cheese and crackers and do something else? But no, because it's so popular and it's such a, a kind of a microcosm of our personalities. Like Dermot loves his rock and punk and all that kind of stuff. And he gets to kind of delve into that stuff and play the crackers. And I adore cheesy pop music. It's like, I love boy bands and death metal and everything else in the middle is fine, but they're the two things I really love. So NSYNC, Slipknot, they're my two favorite things. So when I can lean into, you know, Backstreet Boys, NSYNC, Girls Aloud, whatever, there's some cheesy thing. Like I adore that. So if, if we were kind of putting it on, if, if like, if I didn't really like that and I was just a metal pretending to like, that segment would have been gone years ago because people would just see through it. But they know I absolutely love Celine Dion and I absolutely want to play it on the radio and he hates it. And all he wants to do is play Depeche Mode or the Kooks or the Killers or whatever. So that battle is real. And I think that's one of the reasons why that stays. Um, in terms of how we come up with the ideas, we sit in that room, we sit in some random room and we throw ideas at the wall until we come up with something that sticks. Noni is... Um, a character that Dermot talked about doing for a while. So basically in Limerick in the eighties, there was a woman called, now I might get some of this wrong. So, cause he obviously it's his, it's his brain and his childhood, but I think she was called Dodo Redden. And she used to walk around with a pram and she had dogs in the pram, but she had a stick and she'd say hello to you or whatever. But then sometimes she'd just whack you with the stick. Like she was just a mad woman. And then there was a woman outside Tomlin Park when you go to Munster Rugby Games as a kid who would sell you chocolate, you know, from, from a table. I don't know if you've ever, you know, you go to Lansdowne Road or the Aviva or whatever, and you see the people selling stuff off. It was like that. Um, but she used to shout out like, cigarettes here now, boys, apples and chocolate. So she would literally sell you single cigarettes. This was back in the 80s. Uh, apples and bars. But she said chocolate instead of chocolate. So he kind of took her and took Dodo Redden and put the two of them together and then said to me, I had this idea, what can we do? So then we sit together and we 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 come up with Noni ideas and we write Noni stuff. Now he it's his thing. So he does 99% of that stuff is just Dermot off the cuff. You know, he grew up in Limerick, it's all his Limerickisms, and uh he just loves doing it. And people obviously, as you said, people love it. Like it's she's bold and she says things that Dermot can't say, and that's always a great thing about put being a character on the radio. Uh, or on TV is you can say things that you just wouldn't get away with as a human being. But if you're someone else, you can absolutely do it. Um, is it hard to, you know, spread positivity through radio considering you're only using your voice rather than, you know, maybe using any hand gestures or, you know, facial expressions you can use on TV? Um, yeah, that's a good question. Um, yeah, I, I think I, I would probably be quite animated I don't know maybe I'm sitting here doing this all the time am I but like I'm, I would be quite animated and in studio when I'm talking I am doing this and I'm saying you know pointing at Dermot and do whatever um but yeah you only have your voice and I think that's one of the best things about radio is that it strips it back to absolute simplicity like you have to choose your words carefully you have to know what you're saying you have to believe what you're saying or what you're asking and that's probably the biggest challenge is to only use your voice but convey your idea so is it hard to spread positivity i don't think so because i think as long as you do positive stuff and have fun with it you know people are going to listen to it people are going to like it i think you know if, my, if our job was different if our job was to do very serious current affairs stuff you know negative not well, not negative but like reflective of that kind of 
side of the world that becomes news, which again, as I said, personally, I, I, I don't really have much interest in. I think spreading positivity is much harder in that situation. So is it harder for Matt Cooper on the last word to spread positivity? Yeah, I think so. Is it easier for me and Dermot and Ian Dempsey and Fergal Darcy and Mairead? Absolutely, because our job is to keep you happy, keep you entertained, keep you informed. We have to tell you what's going on in the world. If you listen to our show, we're not going to ignore coronavirus, but we're just not going to tell you every single day what the deaths are, what the hospital numbers are, what the vaccine role is going to be, because you're going to go, you can get that from other radio stations, other news programs. With us, the idea is to inform and entertain. And so you feel like you want to know what do Dermot and Dave think of something while they also play a good song. That's that's our job. So, yeah, I think you can do it, but it depends on, on your show. And then just like for yourself, is it hard when, let's say, you're having an off day, you're not in good form? Is it hard to keep, you know, the upbeat show going on the radio? Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, I suppose I'm really lucky in that I'm really level mooded like I'm kind of I'm great all the time most days I just feel feel great feel grand feel happy and and that's kind of my default mood and I know how lucky I am to be like that but it's just in in built in me that's how I am um on the days when you don't feel like that again uh Matthew the question you asked about a double header I have Dermot to pick me up so if I don't, you know, if I'm upset about something or if I've something going on in the background, which happens all the time that you're not happy about, I can lean on Dermot and Dermot can do a bit more of the heavy lifting and he can just, you know, talk a bit more and I can chime in or whatever. But it rarely happens for either of us, no matter what's going on, because when the red light goes on, you perform. And I know, you know, I, I know I'm saying that we're, we're genuine, we're authentic like what you hear is what you get like that's what we're like in normal life but at the same time when the red light goes on you know that there's 200,000 people listening and you have to give them the performance version of you and if that was totally fake you wouldn't be there because it'd be you'd be gone in in, in a few years because people would just see through it but it is a slightly heightened reactive version of you but what that allows you to do then is to, you know, have fun and and bring that entertainment to people that they want to hear. Uh, but you're you're still you're kind of caught up in that moment. Like the, there's nothing like live radio to make you forget everything else. It's very hard to think about good things, bad things, mundane things when the microphone is on and you're supposed to be talking to the person or talking to about whatever. So you do kind of just get caught up in that moment, and it's just. It, it's not that difficult to to kind of forget everything else that's going on. But having, again, having a double header really helps. Um, so mental health and awareness through COVID-19 has been a fundamental part uh, to why we have started this podcast. Um, I heard this morning that Dermot is releasing a book on men mindfulness and mental health, which is brilliant. Um, what can we do to keep people sane and happy throughout our podcast? Wow, that's a great question. Um, yeah, I think for people like Dermot and Brezzy and Blind Boy, and to some extent me, I, I've been very open about, I practice meditation every day. Uh, I, I love it. It's just something I do really quickly in the morning. It's not a big deal. Uh, like I said, I'm really lucky. I'm a kind of a normally a very happy go lucky person so uh, you know 
it, it's not as though I'm fighting against some kind of demons, but I've struggled with anxiety in the past. And I think for people like us in, in positions like this, where we can normalize the conversation around mental health. And, you know, I think when we were kids, it just, I didn't know what depression or anxiety was. I'd literally never heard of it. You know, now I think there's an openness to talking about those things. And I think it's great coming from people with positions of power, from Brezzi, from the government, from Dermot, from ourselves, whatever it is. But I think what's really important is that it allows you guys to talk about it amongst yourselves. So I presume the audience for your podcast is your peers, people around you of the same age. And I think the important thing, the responsibility you guys have and the opportunity you guys have is to talk about it in a way that people your age will understand that I could never do because sure, it, it's great that Dave Moore on the radio says, yeah, I went through bouts of anxiety. I practice mindfulness. It really helps me. I did therapy. I did CBT. Like that's absolutely great. And I think it allows people to see people in the public eye saying that it's okay to not be okay. And it's okay to talk about those things, but you guys will be able to communicate with your audience in ways that I can't. So, you know, Jacob, if you can sit down with Seamus and talk about an episode you had or, or a situation you found yourself in that you thought was quite difficult and talk about that on your podcast or have someone on who's, you know, your age that is going through something and how they, they found their way through. Those kind of conversations I think are, are at least as valuable, if not more valuable than the stuff that's happening at this kind of, you know, higher media level. I think that's great for trickling down the, that look that, you know, everyone's human and all that, but to hear that your mate is struggling or has struggled or found a way through or meditates or does a thing that makes their mental health better or looks after it the same way they look after their body going to the gym or eating right or whatever. I think that's really important. So your podcast could be a really important thing for people who listen to it because you're the same as them. You know, it's very hard to relate to a guy who's, I mean, if you guys are presumably like you're what, 16, 17 years old, 15, 16, whatever. I'm 45. So there's like a 30 year gap between us. And yeah, I'm just a sound loud from Ireland. So are you guys, but like, there's still a huge generational difference there. So I think for someone who's listening to your podcast, if they can hear, you know, you guys having conversations like this with me, but having it also amongst yourselves, that's got to be really powerful for people. I think. You are a busy man with your radio show and busy family. As you mentioned, you do meditation. Is there anything else you do to take care of your own mental health? Um, yeah, uh, I suppose specifically for mental health, maybe it's, it's a byproduct of things I do. I love guitars. Uh, I'm absolutely obsessed. I collect them. I shouldn't. My wife kills me when I bring a new one home, but what can I do? Um, so when I play the guitar or play the bass guitar, particularly the bass guitar, and I was, a, I was never a bass player when I was a kid. I grew up and I learned the guitar and it was a heavy metal rhythm guitar. So that was always my thing. But in my thirties, I just found myself kind of I don't know gravitating towards the bass and what I'll do is uh, again because of technology I can put put headphones in uh, I can play a playlist of my favorite bass songs uh, turn the lights off in the room I lie down on the floor on cushions I close my eyes and whatever it is about the bass maybe I don't have to think about it as much the guitar is like an active part of my brain but the bass is like the subconscious part of my brain and I just zone out 
and Quentin, I could be gone for like three or four hours. Like, and my kids are long asleep, my wife's asleep. It's like 1 a.m. and I'm going, what am I doing? I need to go to bed. I got to get up at five o'clock in the morning to go do the radio show. Um, but those four hours are so amazing for my mental health because I'm not actively doing anything. So my thoughts are, are coming and going and, and I'm not really engaging with them, which is a really helpful thing to do. And in fact, in meditation, a lot of the time, I think that's one of the most important things is to not think that you're meditating badly if you have thoughts. You're supposed to have thoughts. You live there's some ridiculous number like 80,000 thoughts a day. You're going to have thoughts. But the important thing is to let them go, like standing outside the road and letting traffic pass you. And when I play the bass, that's what happens. Yes, I think about my mortgage payment. And yes, I think about, oh, did I renew my health insurance? And my wife's car needs new tires and all those things. Can, but they just keep coming and going. And I go back to the base and back to the base and back to the base. And that's something that I do probably like once a week minimum. And I, funnily enough, if I missed my, med my daily meditation tomorrow for whatever reason, but I missed a weekly base session, I'd miss the base session more. I don't know why that is, but it, it definitely has a kind of a really profound effect on my mental health when I just find, and, and look, I'm not saying it has to be base. It doesn't, it could be fishing or it could be, you know, woodworking or it could be whatever, jet washing your driveway, whatever it is. If you find something that makes you mindless in some ways, it's really helpful to allow all these thoughts that you have all day to just kind of process and get out of the way and you'll just feel better after whatever it is that you can spend hours doing. You're an avid Man United fan like myself. Would you rather wear a Liverpool jersey or kiss Noni? I would marry Noni before I'd wear any of that red scum on my body. Not a chance. So I'm sure you feel the same way, Clinton. But yeah, no, I would. Uh, I'd absolutely kiss Noni, whatever, whatever it took to not put the red of Liverpool on me. Yes, in fact, in fact, when we did cheese and crackers in our previous radio station, it was it was the first person to twenty, and then there was a forfeit. So the forfeits used to be like you know, you have to go get your chest waxed, or you have to like eat something you don't like, whatever, and then. One day Dermot was like, oh my God, the next four of them, I'm going to kill you. And I was like, no way, I'll win or whatever. Anyway, I lost. And he's like, you have to go busking on the streets. And I was like, well, like I used to do that as a kid. Like this is second nature to me. Great, can't wait. So he said, right, out we go. Put my guitar like thing down and graph the street. So up side, top Stephen's green. I was ready to play. And I went, what do I have to do? And he went, you have to sing. You'll never walk alone. And this is for the radio. I can't say no. This is the honor system of a forfeit. And honest to Jesus, it was the hardest thing I've ever had to do. I had to sing that song. I nearly swore there, lads. Uh, but yeah, I, it's tough. It's very tough. Man. So no, I'd kiss Noni all day long. Well, Dave, as a Liverpool fan, I take great delight in that last part. But um, <laughs> I just, sure you famous. <laughs> I'd just like to say um, a massive thank you again for coming on. It's been absolutely amazing to have you. So thanks a million. Not at all. Thanks, guys. Thanks for, for asking me. Great questions. Really good interviews. So uh, I think the future is bright for Irish broadcasting. Fair play to you. Thanks. 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 Thank you. I think Suzanne's talking, but I can't hear you. Are you muted? Yeah, I missed her. You're muted there.
Oh, sorry. I'm th thank you so much. I'm laughing here at the, the passion you had over Kisanoni over Liverpool. <laughs> <laughs> you really said it like really passionately, you know. Yeah. Um, fact, sorry, I, I know you're not recording anymore, but also one of the things that was planned, I'm so thankful for COVID. And I know I'm the only person on earth thinking this, but one of the things that was planned was they were bringing me to Anfield for the trophy 